How's everybody doing today? Welcome back to another episode of The Banker Next Door. I am your host, Dr. Joe Berquist. Uh, today is a really exciting episode. We have Bob Newman coming back for his second interview with us. If everyone will recall from the first interview, we basically did kind of a general, what I would describe as a 30,000 square foot view of the derivatives um, not necessarily the market, but we talked a lot about Bob and his background and his company. Uh, and we talked kind of generally about derivatives. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to have you guys come back. Uh, we wanted to get Bob back to basically do a second interview. And we're going to do this one on a very granular level. We were trying to give everybody an example of how a simple derivative works and how it can really help a bank in managing their balance sheet. So with that being said, I am going to bring Bob in. How are we doing today, Bob? Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what I, again, I think what we want to get into today is just an example of a simple, I think what you would describe as a vanilla derivative product. And I think the idea here is that, you know, we want to give people a basic understanding so that they get the feeling that this is not such a scary thing. Um, you know, so with that, I will, I'll turn it over to you. And then when you want me to start showing the example or when you want me to put the screen up, let me, let me know. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks again for, for having me back. And, uh, uh, I don't know if we had a cliffhanger or not, but we'll continue the conversation. <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, the word derivatives, I I've heard it called the 11 letter, four letter word. I mean, it's, it often, um, it comes with baggage. I think, um, especially in community banks, you know, we want to keep things, simple for our main street clients. And, you know, what I've learned is that there are some very simple applications. The word derivative, the category is a very broad category. So there are a lot of very complex things that can fit into that bucket. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll look at a, you know, the most simple instrument that is a derivative, in my opinion, is the interest rate swap. And I'll just walk through a very quick example of, you know, what a swap is, what it does, Oh, we're just uh, uh, yeah. uh, hang on, hang yeah. on one second. So, for the podcast audience, for anybody who's not looking at the video of this, what we're looking at is uh, uh, Bob has a PowerPoint here where he's showing what he's describing as a vanilla interest rate swap, and we're just running through some slides here of this presentation. So, again, sorry, Bob, but go ahead. You go. I'll, I'll let no, you no, thanks. It now, thanks. No, no, no worries at all. So, no, thanks again. So, um, yeah, starting with, I would say the. You know, level setting and the basics of you know what is an interest rate swap, um, and it's really nothing more than an agreement between two parties to exchange or swap interest payments. Um, in effect, you're swapping interest rates, but it's kind of a, a vague concept. To make uh, to make it tangible, you've got to take the interest rate and multiply it times some face amount, a, a principal amount, and and swap lingo we call that the notional amount. So. Uh, you know, one party will pay to the other a fixed rate um, and it becomes a fixed rate interest payment. And then they'll receive back from the other party a floating rate interest payment. So you'll sometimes hear the word, oh, it's a fixed for floating interest rate swap. You know, someone's paying fixed. If you're paying fixed, you're receiving floating. And if you're receiving fixed, you're paying floating. That's the, the nature of the beast. And as I say those words out loud, and even if you're, if you're watching this on video and see the picture, um, I come up with a little bit of a so what um, response when I when I read the textbook academic description of what a swap is. Um, but when we go to the next slide and try to apply what I call, um, you know, look at the, you know, what is the impact a swap has? What's the job that it does? So it's it's 
I think it's much more powerful to think of the swap in terms of what it can do. So, you know, if you're a community bank, you know, I'll sometimes say when you wake up in the morning um, and open the doors of the bank, you really do begin the day with some degree of exposure to changing interest rates. Um, the picture on this slide shows um, a balance sheet that is you know, sometimes referred to as liability sensitive. So you've got um, deposits and uh, funding instruments on the right-hand side of the balance sheet repricing more quickly. The liabilities reprice more quickly than the assets. So I've got uh, predominantly fixed rate loans and investments supported by uh, deposits that that reprice more quickly. And that's a, that's a mismatch. Um, with the addition of a swap, um, this is an extreme uh, outcome, but you know, we're showing you know, we can actually move from mismatch to match. Or the goal is to move in the direction of risk reduction. Um, so, um, and what, what I'll point out here is that the swap is a second or an additional transaction that really transcends and hovers above the balance sheet. So um, the power of a swap is that you can uh, change the bank's risk profile without having to physically alter the mix of loans and deposits. In other words, you don't have to turn the spigots on and off. So mm -hmm. a bank that has this risk profile, you know, you might just say, well, let's just stop making fixed rate loans. Yeah, that'll solve the problem. Well, that takes time and it, it doesn't meet the customer's needs. So I think that the ability, having a derivative, having access to swaps and derivatives in your risk management toolkit allows the bank to course correct without putting it on the shoulders of the client or changing the business strategy of the bank. Um, so that's, that's and, and if I can just chime in for a second. So in general, uh, for, you know, again, just assuming somebody is watching this for the first time, you, if you don't really know a lot about banking or bank balance sheets, whatever, um, typically, so if you look at a typical, I'll, I'll use a typical community bank as an example, say you've got a billion dollar community bank, um, their loans could be made up of residential mortgages, consumer loans, uh, commercial loans, but the, the bulk of their loans are going to be tied up in fixed rate loans, whether it's residential mortgages or it's fixed rate HELOCs on the consumer side, or it's commercial mortgages or commercial term loans. So I would say, you know, probably 80%, 90% of your loans on that balance sheet side on the asset side are going to be fixed rate. So you get you see this problem a lot. And the only reason I'm, I'm saying that is I'm trying to just add a little context to what Bob is, is trying to say here that that what he's pointing out here is a very common it's a it's a common problem, uh, you know, having a mismatch uh, between your assets and liabilities on a balance sheet is, is something that banks see all the time. And that's, and that's why we wanted to show this example here of, of basically you, you kind of just come across this common mismatch and how can you, what, what's a tool that you can use to kind of straighten this out so that you're, you're, you're really putting your, your balance sheet in the best possible situation. So sorry, sorry about Oh, no, I, no, this is great. No, please. And you know, ask questions and adding the color is, is really helpful. I'd rather, uh, Let's keep it interactive even with the two of us here. So uh, uh, no, I think that's really helpful, Joe. And I think, you know, kind of, let me try to illustrate for you, uh, you know, now, you know, the, the job the swap is doing. And what I, I like to use the word developing a hedging mindset because we diagram out swaps with boxes and arrows. But if, if we think back to what we just looked at, um, a balance sheet that was weighted heavily in the direction of fixed rate assets. Um, so let's just say we could, we could say that the, too many fixed rate loans is, is a part of our problem. Um, so if I have 
a portfolio of fixed rate assets, the first question I ask myself is, what's my relationship to the interest rate on those loans? Um, to put it into swap language and to really develop this hedging mindset. So naturally, um, the, the problem I'm trying to solve is that I, I am a receiver of fixed interest and that's creating my mismatch. With that in mind, you know those loans stay on my books. They don't leave, they don't go anywhere. I'm not swapping them away from my balance sheet, but I'm gonna enter into a new transaction. I'm gonna set up a relationship with a swap counterparty. And for a community bank, it's typically the likes of you know, US Bank, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, some of the bigger, you know, say money center broker dealer um, institutions are willing to set up a relationship to serve as a swap provider uh, to a community bank. What Chatham does is really work as an advisor to the community bank. So we're not a, as a player in the market, so to speak, Chatham Financial is not a counterparty. You know, we're, we're simply the advisor and maybe the coach to the community bank who might want to do something like this. So once that relationship is established, now you can transact that fixed floating exchange um, and the swap that can correct the mismatch here um, is one that's going to, let's say, move in the opposite direction of the natural exposure. So if I'm naturally a receiver of fixed, I want to do a swap where I'm the payer of fixed. I want to pay fixed mm -hmm. in the swap and therefore I'm going to receive floating. Um, so now you, you're really seeing the upper part of this uh, slide is really the same picture we looked at with the ice cream cones. It's a pay, fix, receive, floating swap. But in the context of the balance sheet, um, you know, when I execute the swap, the fixed exposures really cancel out and it leaves me with a net floating. Um, I'm a net floating rate receiver now. So the second transaction, this new um, hedging transaction that I've entered into allows me to synthetically uh, change positions to synthetically convert fixed rate assets to a variable rate to a floating rate. Um, so that to me is a powerful benefit of the swap. No, which is fantastic. So, and I, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but is this going to be, is this going to be good or bad for you in a, in a rising interest rate environment? Well, no, that the, the I guess the point of this is um, the, if the swap by itself, if you just look at the nature of that swap, um, it is going to, I'll say, it's designed to reimburse and pay the bank more money the higher rates go. So becoming the receiver of a floating interest rate, if the Fed were to keep raising rates, and if the floating rate is above the fixed rate, I'm going to be a net receiver on that swap. Um, and I've got a, an example with numbers in a second. This is a little bit vague because it just says fixed and floating. But um, in a vacuum, <laughs> the, the swap is actually being done to create benefit in a rising rate environment. The assumption is that my natural balance sheet, that, that risk mismatch we showed, is that my margins are going to get squeezed in a rising rate environment. So if I can put on a swap that actually, the higher the floating rate goes, the more money I'm being paid by my counterparty, that's actually doing me some benefit um, when I would otherwise be in a riskier position. Now I have a, a it's truly a hedge. It's a, it's a transaction that, that pays me as rates move higher. And, and just, again, just to add a little bit of context uh, kind of behind the scenes. So um, I'm going to take a step back for a second. So I, I can't say every bank, but I would just say 
almost all banks out there have what's called an ALCO committee. That's an asset and liability committee. And in that ALCO committee, they, they have what's called a gap analysis. And that gap analysis is to try to look at the bank's balance sheet to determine if you are asset sensitive or liability sensitive. And depending on what your sensitivity is, that's really how you want to position yourself to what you where you think interest rates are going to go. So if you th think interest rates are going to go up, you want to position yourself in a position and you want to put the balance sheet in a position to take advantage of that. And that's really a big part of what we're trying to do here. If you're if you're if you're sitting there a year and a half ago and you're going, okay, the Fed is signaling they're going to start raising interest rates. Well we need to really get to we need to get to a point where you know where we're positioning the balance sheet for that rising interest rate environment you're going to start to look at, at products like this to basically say okay can we use this to kind of hedge our risk so to speak and and i think that's really where the benefit comes in because if you if you made a loan say a couple years ago at, at four and a half or five percent uh, but you did you used one of these products, you're you're probably very happy today because because the bank is is probably making good money off of that right now. Yeah, I think the yeah, swapping loans to floating a year and a half or so ago, in hindsight, um, was a very shrewd uh, trade to be done. Uh, but I think the next slide, Joe, actually hits on some of the things you're talking about when you talk about what are you know what's your view on rates? what what are your expectations? and the, the one thing that the swap market really provides is the ability, I would say, to trade uncertainty for certainty based on what I call the consensus market forecast. So this is now taking an, uh, the vague fixed floating exchange and saying, how do we actually price a swap? And again, I'll use a little bit of jargon here, but we call this the forward curve. But it, I look at it and say, this is the, uh, yeah, there's futures markets. There are a lot of instruments that trade, but they ultimately are the thing that a swap is derived from. It's why we call a swap a derivative. It's derived from this forward curve and we see short-term interest rates. The SOFR rate is you know, the main rate in the swap market. It's very close to the Fed funds rate that we're all familiar with, you know, mm -hmm. that the Fed is gonna really impact through changes in monetary policy, but we're sitting up in the low fives right now, but you can sort of see the ski slope. This is the expectation that the market has and there are a lot of articles being written about the, the market <laughs> battling the Fed in terms of what's going to happen next. But we actually do have um, built into the prices of swaps expectations for rates to come down, um, which is an interesting dynamic. So if we take the next three years, um, an interest rate swap um, is priced at really the average of, of this downward sloping curve. So you know, with a current short term rate at, say, 531, um, mm -hmm. When these slides were created, you could put on a three-year pay-fix swap at 395. Um, and what that does, it creates, it's, the swap is designed to break even over its life. Um, so you can see that if you were the payer of that 395 fixed rate, you start out receiving 531. You're actually positively benefiting from being in that swap. If rates do what they're supposed to do at about the halfway point, you then become the payer. Um, when if the if and when the SOFA rate, Fed funds rate get below roughly four percent, three ninety-five, now you're gonna be paying out the difference between the three ninety-five and the floating rate. So it's it's designed to be a break-even proposition. Um, I think you wanna bring, you know, banks wanna bring their views and their expectations to the table, but also um, what's my worst case scenario and is there something I can do to prevent a, a negative outcome? 
Yeah, no, it's a great point, Bob. And then, so, but let me just ask the question, what happens if you don't get back to that? If, if In other words, if interest rates don't come down quite as much as we think, say, I don't know, the Fed only cuts 75 or 100 basis points, something like that. Um, do you still stay, stay above that, that, you know, that 3.95 marker there? And, and then like, you know, what happens if you stay above that kind of break even point? Will, will it eventually even itself out uh, kind of automatically at some point? So that's a great question. And I think it's one that gets asked a lot, you know, when, when a bank is thinking about using one of these things, if we were to consummate this swap today, and if you were to have that counterparty relationship and locked in the 395, the fixed rate in the swap is locked and set for the entire period. In this case, a three-year period. Um, so if I mean, make it really simple, if, if rates don't change, I mean, a bank that does this swap today, if the if the short-term rates never go up or down, you're going to receive the difference between 531 and 395 for all three years. You would say that the swap was a winner, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, here's what I would say, Joe: If a bank is, if you look at the outlook and say, "Gosh, one of the worst things for my bank is higher for longer," mm -hmm. I mean, we're all talking rate cuts. Everybody's expecting the rate cuts. You can look at this curve and see that the market expects rate cuts, but the Fed has been known to be unpredictable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if something changes in the inflation numbers that give the Fed reason to not do anything, and if that would hurt your bank, I would suggest this swap is a very helpful instrument because it's going to actually reduce some of the pain you've already felt from rising deposit costs. Um, and it's going to compensate you for in a higher for longer scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, no, absolutely right. I no, I agree with that totally. Um, you know, because yeah, and it, it, it is. I think I think right now it, it is a very tough thing because I again, you, you know, you have kind of these predictions all over the place. I mean, a lot of people love to look at the what's called the dot plot, which comes out from the Fed to try to get an insight as to okay, where where do we think? You know, where you know are they? telegraphing to us kind of where they're where they might be going and and i i felt probably personally i've kind of felt that like you know if you're watching like cnbc or something like i felt like they've kind of gone overboard a little bit in in the rate cut narrative like oh yeah they're they're you know they're they're slashing it down for you know 400 basis points or whatever and i think that's a little um I think that's a little overblown, you know, especially when, you know, Jeremy Powell's literally said that, that, yeah, I mean, we'll probably cut rates. It probably won't be till later in the year and it probably won't be by a ton. Uh, you know, we don't, when again, that's, and that's where the, the, the ambiguity comes in the vagueness where we're, you know, now we're all, okay, well, what does that, what does that, not much, a ton, a little bit, like, what is that? What does that mean? Does that mean, you know, 50 basis points, 150 basis points? Like, what is that? You know, and I think we're all we're all left just trying to trying to figure that out. But I think at the end of the day, Bob, the point is that, that this product here can can really help take some of that uh, uncertainty out of the situation, as it were. A hundred percent. I mean, I think you can as everybody is waiting to see if if and when and how much the Fed pivots. I mean, entering into an interest rate swap, you create your own pivot. You You literally pivot from fixed to floating or floating to fixed depending on the instrument. And let me just get this one more. Oh, okay. I think I, I realized I had an animation here to show there's, <laughs> there's that positive carry <laughs> that we talked about. Sorry, I didn't uh, get that showing uh, any, any more quickly, but um, yeah, just one more slide. We can take it down and just chat at the end here. But you know, if you had a portfolio of mortgages, if they were yielding, and I, I simplified this example, 
Um, if I'm earning 395, maybe they were, you know, the, the vintage of these mortgages are a couple of years ago, uh, lower than I would like. Um, but gosh, I would love to have, you know, a higher yield and I wouldn't mind having floating instead of fixed. If not, you know, this is a visual of putting on that three year interest rate swap where I pay 395 fixed. I'm basically getting rid of my natural fixed interest stream and getting back this variable interest payment tied to the SOFA rate, which today is a 5.31% rate. Um, so if I, you know, I put the swap on, it, it, it really overlays as a second transaction kind of next to my mortgages that stay put. Um, but if the net impact of the swap, the, the job that the swap does is that it takes a, a lower yielding fixed rate asset at 395 and synthetically converts it to a floating rate that begins at 531 and will change whenever SOFR changes for the next three years. So in our other example a minute ago, if SOFR never changes, I got 531 for three years. Mm -hmm. If SOFR goes up, I get a higher rate. If it goes down, I could get less than 395. The thought is if it goes down, maybe I'm gonna have some relief in my margin. So mm -hmm. you, you're gonna do something like this when you've, you know, you've run a, a rate risk model, an ALCO model, um, and you feel like this is the direction that helps um, overall reduce the bank's risk. No, and this is perfect. And, and if I could just ask Bob, like, so what happens at the end of this? So you get to the you get to the end of three years. Does this just ex is this a product that just expires? Uh, do you have the ability to perhaps roll it over into another three years? Like, how does that how does that kind of work at the end? Yeah. So the this this swap will just expire. It's it's set okay. up to just have typically monthly payments for thirty six months, and it would end. But I would say that uh, you know, banks that have begun to consider hedging instruments on a regular basis, every time their ALCO meets, we can look at how are we pricing our deposits? Are we doing wholesale borrowings? How's the bond portfolio? Are there any hedging strategies to look at? Um, I would say if you did this swap today, maybe in the next quarter, a couple of quarters, you might put another one on and try to get extended out another year perhaps, or all depending on the bank's risk profile. So it is a dynamic process. I mean, when the tool is used, I think in the, you know, uh, the best possible way, uh, you know, you would do it in a portfolio fashion and, and maybe, or you might unwind the swap. You might not need it any longer. So swaps can be unwound at their market value prior to maturity. you just by going back to your counterparty. So lots of flexibility to put on more takeoff, et cetera. Uh, but, this one trade is designed to start today and three years from now. And all we do is exchange, you know, we just look at the SOFA rate and say, is it higher or lower than 395? And we're gonna true up, there's a net settlement between counterparty and bank in this example. So um, you just make that, do the arithmetic and one party sends the other the net payment and then we go to the next month. It's a very, very simple instrument. No, which is which is fantastic. And I think that was one of the, the big reasons why we wanted to do this today was that we just wanted to show people that this, you know, this isn't insanely complicated. It's, it, you know, again, you, you, it's there, you have to understand what's going on, but again, this is pretty straightforward. I mean, and it's a, it's a great tool to help you hedge risk in your portfolio. And if we, I tell you what, if we could go back to the balance sheet slide for just a second, um, because I think that, you know, the, the mismatch to the match, uh, I like right. Yeah. Right there. Like, again, this is exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. We've got, we have a mismatch 
we want to create that match and this is the product that can that can help us get there to help us even even it out so to speak um and again uh and again i think we wanted to do this just because we wanted to to show everybody that, that you know again you hear so many things about derivatives and it this is just to show that it's not a scary thing like this is not like so like you know it's not like a you know derivatives are not this big boogeyman out there it's not you know this is not a scary thing uh when i think when derivatives are used in this fashion they they are extremely effective tools for helping banks, you know, you know, maintain their profitability, increase their profitability, and really hedge against risks when they come in the marketplace, kind of like what we're experiencing now on a number of different things. So, but with uh, with that being said, Bob, I'm going to take out, I'm going to take us out of this slides here for a second. So, uh, do you have any uh, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share as we kind of wrap up today? Uh, no, I, I I would just say. I I think I shared a little bit of my uh, my my long journey in this market last time we were together. Um, I, I continue to just um, I think back to when I started in the business in the 80s, and those 20% rates from the Volcker era were so fresh in people's mm -hmm. minds. Um, it was still a, a, a real you know there were scars from the from the 20% rates and the and the velocity of change that was happening in, in the early 80s. Yeah, you know, what we've just been through 2022 till the present. Yeah, you know, we it does feel like, and the Fed has said they're on pause right now. They they've not touched the rates, but you know the the jump from say you know zero to five and a quarter, you know the the time it took to make that climb. You know, we had not seen rates climb that quickly since the '80s. So, in, oh, well, in, I, so yeah, these instruments were they were invented as a result of the Volcker Fed. I mean, you had crazy rates in the early 80s derivatives are invented in 1982 and became actively used in the mid 80s uh, so i feel like kind of for such a time as this we, you know we're now in i would say volatile and uncertain times that look a lot like the conditions that led to the creation of derivatives and they're um, i think they're indispensable tools so i i would just say uh, if you want to yeah we're, we're here to help have the conversation about yeah, you know, whether or not it makes sense to install access to these tools, you know, for an ALCO, for a bank treasurer, bank CFO, and the lending side, because there's some nice lending applications as well. Perfect. So uh, let me ask you this. If, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to get a hold of Chatham, how, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? So chathamfinancial.com is our website. If you go there, you can gain access to some really nice uh, interest rate data, the forward curve swap rate. So you can set up an account and and begin to see uh, some of the numbers I showed on the slides today. Um, me personally, I love LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there, um, Bob Newman, Chatham Financial, um, and I'm on the website as well. Perfect. No, and, and again, I can't thank you enough, Bob. I really appreciate you coming on today to to do this example. I know you know you and I had been talking about this over the last couple of months, and I was I was really excited about doing this particular episode, uh, just because I thought that people would really learn a lot from this and they would really enjoy it. So I just I really thank you again for taking the time to come on here, and uh, I certainly hope you'll come back and join us again because I'd I'd love to get more in depth with you. Maybe we could talk a little bit more just about, you know, interest rates and yield curve and the Fed and all that kind of stuff. I think that would be, uh, that would also be a great, a great conversation. I'll, so I'll, I'll enjoyed it. And uh, I, I hope everyone enjoys derivatives as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thank you again for joining us today, Bob. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thanks.
All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Banker Next Door. Please make sure to like and subscribe and share. That always helps the, uh, the channel and the podcast. And remember, we are on YouTube, Rumble, and all major podcast platforms. And I co- hope you will come back and join us again real soon. I have some other episodes in, uh, that got posted this weekend along with the weekly update. So I hope everyone will go on and check them out. And I've got some really cool things and some additional interviews coming in the weeks and months ahead. And I hope everyone will come back and and join me again. So thank you so much for watching and see you again real soon.